Welcome to the Indomitable Podcast. I am your host, Di Cerullo, and today we have a very special episode that will leave you inspired. My guest today is the Indomitable Amber Powers. Amber Powers is a shining example of resilience and strength. Working hard to dismantle the falsehood she once embraced as truths, she left the cult she was raised in and emerged as a successful entrepreneur. Once a woman whose voice was oppressed, Amber is dedicated to helping others bravely embrace their voice and their purpose. In a world where influencers are quickly losing trust among their audiences, Amber works with those who hope to make a positive change in the world to reach ethical influencer status. Hello, Amber. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yes. So, wow. Um, I don't know where to start. So before we leave the audience here kind of in the dust, why don't you tell me a little about yourself that kind of isn't, isn't, you know, available right up front. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so um, where to begin? Yeah, kind of like you said, um, I was born into a cult. I wasn't just uh, thrust into it midlife or anything like that. It it was a born into situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the questions that I get most frequently was, what was it like? And to me, it was normal. I didn't know anything else. And so... um, I guess at the time it was something of a blessing and now having to undo a lot of the programming that was instilled in me, um, that's a little bit harder to deal with. And so, um, you know, there are two sides to every coin and this is definitely no different. There were some amazing perks to growing up. So well loved, Mm. (laughs) you might say. Um, And also, uh, there were some downsides to that as well. So um, now, having you know stepped out of that um, in my mid to late twenties, and really just learned to find my voice, learned to you know find my purpose, really, uh, which is becoming an advocate for women-owned businesses, becoming a, an advocate for women who have been silent for most of their lives. Um, helping them find their voice and helping them use their voice because um, I'm writing, actually just finished my book, finished the last edit on my book, which will publish in March. Um, And it's a memoir um, that tells my story and it takes such bravery. Like that's the one thing that no one prepared me for. I was like, oh yeah, I have a story. I have a story to share. I'm going to share it. But once you get in and really start writing, you realize what you have been through. And it's such a healing process. But healing takes a lot of energy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's been quite the process. Um, So, yeah, uh, that's a little bit about me, who I am. Um, My husband and I sold our house, our sticks and bricks house, about a year ago. Um, and we hit the road full time doing full time RV living so that we can go across the U.S. and spotlight women-owned businesses. <laughs> you didn't. You left me so much material. Like I just like my my little ADHD brain is like shooting all around. I'm just kind of like, right, okay, right. let's let's start from the beginning. So, um, okay, a cult that is a heavy, heavy word, and that is definitely yeah. sort of a showstopper. Um, I don't want to give too much light to that itself, but what would you say sort of, what would you say sort of some of the beliefs in the cult were or some of the sort of the ideals of it were that you would maybe mm-hmm. be unlearning? 
Yeah. Um, I would say probably one of the most damaging beliefs um, was the theology that you had to be perfect to make it to seventh heaven, top wow. tier. Right. right. And so um, very damaging to walk right. around uh, in this meat suit feeling like you have to live a perfect life um, right. and beating up on yourself when you're not right it's just a constant punching bag situation and so i still find myself uh struggling with that perfectionism um and i learned that procrastination is actually one of the symptoms of perfectionism Um, and so you know things in life just kind of started to make sense once i started going through the healing journey and understanding like why I was behaving in certain ways. Right. And I think once you have that understanding, it allows ease to progress into what healed looks like. Right. Perfectionism alone is its own, um, you know, paralytic and can keep you from, I can't, any number of things, self-love included. At what point would you say you realized it was time to go? Did your family decide it was time to go? Or did you decide it was time to go separately? If, if you want to talk about that, I'm not. Yeah, you know. yeah. It was, it was sort of a stair-step process. So um, yeah. in my, I, I believe I was 16, around 16 years old, um, the leader of the cult was uh, found guilty for child molestation. Um, there were some rumors not confirmed of embezzling uh adultery like all of the things um that you hear about going on in cults um i remember towards the end uh people were not allowed to enter our church like there were ushers guarding the doors um Mm. we were not allowed to leave the church during services which was new, right. like that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't a part of how I grew up. Um, and so once we found that out, um, we got a phone call. We had gone to church earlier that day and a cousin uh, of mine called and said, hey, you know, church is getting ready to start soon. Will you all be back? And my mother took Paul and I heard her say she hadn't had this discussion with my brother and I, but I heard her say we will not be returning to that church. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, so for me, um, one of the beliefs was we were the only people going to heaven, like we were the chosen people. Right. So, as as is sort of common among <laughs> everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And so having my mom say that essentially pulled the rug out from underneath me. Um, there was no way I was making it to heaven. So I remember screaming at the top of my lungs. I said her name and then I said, I will never leave that hurt. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was a traumatic event. And, you know, my parents did leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, I went to some of the churches that they went to, but I never really got super involved. Mm. Um, 
one of the churches that they went to, they got rebaptized because we were baptized incorrectly. Um, so uh, I ended up going back to that church a few times um, just because it was home. Right. You know, I couldn't yeah. find I couldn't find anything that felt like home to me. And then um, a little bit later on, a couple of years later, I started dating a man from that church because we had to marry from within the church. Um, even though I wasn't a part of it, I still followed what I believed and knew. Right. And so uh, he and I started dating. Uh, we attended church at a uh, kind of a branch of that church that broke off in the 70s. Mm. Um, so they still had the same beliefs, but without the corrupt leadership. Leader. So we, yeah, we stuck out there for a little bit. And then I fully stopped going in my late 20s, hmm. mid to late 20s. Did you stop going because you sort of had unpacked those things as you lived longer and you'd sort of gained your own sort of sense of self? Or was there something similar that prompted um, If you don't mind more than anything, it was distant. Um, he and right. I did get married. We lived probably close to an hour from that church. Right. Um, and so I stopped going simply because it was a heck of a drive and he didn't want to go with me. He wasn't ever really that into church. I mean, he went, he bought into the beliefs, but he right. just didn't, he didn't want to go. And so I ended up going by myself and I didn't feel like driving an hour each way. Um, and so I did find a small church that was located close to us and started going. Mm. He was exposed to you know, not vastly different beliefs, but different enough that made me start questioning some of the ways that I was raised and some of the theology behind it. Um, and that was probably the first step to me really undoing the mental programming. Programming, right. That is sad, but also scary. I would, I would feel like if all you knew was that like, your salvation was like the most important thing on this earth. And this was the only way that you could go to heaven. And oh my gosh, I would be, it would be terrifying to, to be going through that process. Um, why do you think, and I don't know if this is, and I don't know that much about it, to be honest, but this is what I'm always curious about. Why do you think that cult leaders are often tempted to go into abuse they can like it can't start off like i just want to be this person that is awful and and just sucks the life from everybody else and abuses everybody mm -hmm. around me like is it like mental unhealthiness or is it just like egotistical narcissism that just drives them to do whatever they want to whomever they want what are what are your thoughts yeah so um i actually the um the generational i don't know what the word is but my mm -hmm. my ties to cults go deep so mm -hmm. i actually lost two family members different family members in the jonestown massacre and oh, so sorry yeah so um i know a little bit about jim jones and mm -hmm. how that progressed and i've done a little bit of my own kind of mental um assessment of you would how have that to. happened yeah. Yeah. So he started out, he actually came to the church that I was raised in to try to recruit members um, for his 
it was called People's Temple. Mm. And um, he was, by all accounts, uh, a decent enough guy. He was friendly. Uh, the way that he started his church was very, like, pro-diversity, really raising up um, people of color and mm. promoting love. Like, that's how it all started. Right. And I think just my, my own personal assessment is it was a progress, a progressive belief that he really was. He started buying into his, his own ego. Right. Um, the more people loved him, the more he loved himself, but not in a healthy way. Right. Right. Um, right. And so... Yeah, he really started buying into that and understanding that he had power. And I think mm. I think a lot of people get there, right? But that's when we have right. a choice. Do we right. use that, that power for good? Right. Or do we use it to our own benefit and corruption? And right. it's it's simply that, that moment where we make the choice, do we which fork do we take? Right. Um, and he chose the wrong one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you know, I grew up in the Massachusetts foster care system, and it was mm -hmm. always sort of my belief that people didn't choose evil outright. They chose a series of small evils that crossed yep. that line enough times that the line itself becomes invisible and you just make bigger and bigger, more and more egregious um, choices as you go. Right. And Every time I've heard about cult leaders, you always hear like the people who believed in them saying things like, he was just such a good guy. Like he was doing so much right. good. There was so much love that was exactly. so much different than everything I'd experienced. And I'm always just so fascinated of how we get to that place of I am being persecuted. Thus, we are being persecuted. Thus, we must all, you know, and I'm just always so, I mean, it's not all the same evil, but it's all the same small choices, right? It's all yeah. the same. I'm so fascinated by that. So I appreciate yeah. your your thoughts on the matter as as horrifying sure. as as horrifying as the subject matter is. So the church breaks off, right? It decides that it's going to continue on without this terrible human being at the helm. Mm -hmm. Is it still alive today? Is it still doing well in the great in the great age of 2023? Wow. Okay. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's doing great. I think that um, many of its branches have kind of fallen apart, mm -hmm. um, but they are still, they're surviving, right? Mm -hmm. um, right? There are a lot of people who left. I still keep in touch with many of the people, you know, that right. I grew up with. Of course. Uh, when I divorced my first husband, I lost a good portion of the people, you know, Yes, that I grew I up knew. with because that was half of my that was of half of my you know chosen family. Yeah. Um, and so, but I do still keep in touch with many of the people that I attended church with, and the vast majority do not go anymore. Wow, wow, that's amazing. When you yeah. were writing your book, because I've written a book, and I was very. How do I want to say? I don't want to say touched by while you were talking about having written your book. It just it was very um, reminiscent for me. So I wanted to ask you, before you got started, were you afraid to write it? Yes, I didn't know how afraid I was because 
I still have family that goes yes. to that church. Yeah. Um, the people who even left that are family still hold many of the same beliefs. Right. And so um, I was afraid of being brutally honest about how I was raised. Right. I was afraid of being transparent about some of the abuse that I suffered at the hands of my mother because my mother was such a strong personality and she was so well loved right. by our family and by our community and she was seen a certain way. Yes. But as is the case in all things, we only see a fraction of, of the person that is in front of us. And right. so there was a ton of fear. And also what helped me get past that was I knew that my story had the power of changing lives. Right. Um, it had the power of enabling and empowering other women to share their stories, to make the changes that they wanted to see in the world. And so that sounds super like Shiro of me. No. But it, no. It really? <laughs> no. It was yeah. just a decision. It was simply a decision. You can either let the fear consume you and take away your power well, yes or you can use your power to make the change you want there is no middle ground there is no nope. gray area it's nope. one or the other and i chose the one i wanted to be okay with on my deathbed that's amazing did something prompt you to write the book yeah um my sister from another mister um mm -hmm. lynn abate johnson she and i have been internet friends for I don't even know how long now um we have literally never met in person and I would hand her my business in a second and know that she would take care of it mm -hmm. um she reached out to me to tell me that she was writing a book about being a caregiver through her mother's thing mm -hmm. and some of the things she said you know I signed up with this hybrid publisher she calls herself the book doula so she's in that sort of spiritual realm that you and I find ourselves and I thought that maybe it would be worth a connection right and I had picked up a pen to write my book no less than 30 times I have yes. 30 notebooks <laughs> yes with oh you're speaking to my of heart Amber you know so many of my darkest secrets <laughs> Yeah, I just I kept putting it down, and but yes. the the prompt to always visit it again let me know that like this is the moment I've been waiting for an introduction to a publisher that resonates with me, yes. that gets who I am, that is not going to be judgmental of my my past and and how I how I make it happen, and yes. so that was the moment. She made that yes. introduction and I finally just said yes, because I knew I needed the accountability to yes. actually do it. Yes. So it came to your door, did it? Yes, it did. It came a knocking. That's, that's kind of how it does with stuff like that. Folks, if you don't totally. know, um, when I went to, and Amber's completely right. When you have a story, that's a memoir that's sort of been living on your chest for basically all the years of your life, what ends, and I don't want to speak for you, Amber, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but when it's sitting on your chest for all the years of your life, you pick it up and, and, and sort of put it down many, many times, always knowing that you will one day be accountable to this story. For me, the thing that came knocking was when um, I gave birth to my daughter 
who looked exactly like me. And then the more and more she would grow and the more and more she would change and the more and more I was just so in love with her. I re she's just such an on fire little person. She's a tiny version of me, right? And I realized in those moments, all the things that people had made my fault, all the things that they had said that was, I deserve the abuse because of, you know, I was too, I was I, too many questions required too much. So needy, all of those things. Right. Right. I met this little girl and I was like, you effing liars, you liars just wanted somebody smaller to abuse. You yep. were feeling like it was your right to try to stamp that light out of me. And that right. was your fault. Do you know what I mean? Like I just, I felt this rage growing within me that if I did not externalize it from my body, it, you it know what I mean? Like it, it just, it would have consumed me. That's exactly right. Yeah. You talk about the fear, the friggin' rage is what would have consumed yeah. me. Absolutely. Did you feel like, were you, has were there stories that you were hesitant to tell with the level of honesty in which you ultimately told them? Yes. And I told one in particular from the book. Mm -hmm. um, I, that one story I felt was too forced. Um, and so I ultimately made the decision to pull it because I didn't see the benefit of having it in there. Like that was the litmus test that I used. Right. Would this be beneficial to someone else hearing this story? Um, and of course, you know, people want to know about you and, and how you grew up and, and everything like that, um, because they're going to make judgments as they go through the book because we're human. Um, right. Uh, but I think probably the most difficult was, you know, sharing about my mom, which mm. was hard. I'm not going to lie. Like, I will not sugarcoat that. And and the way that I say it in the book is she was the most loving, nurturing woman I've ever met in my life. And also, those same loving, nurturing hands caused me immense harm. Yes. And... I wanted to present this in a way that people understood that she's human too. Like right. she carried her baggage with her into our relationship. Yes. But I didn't even understand that. I didn't understand that because growing up, I never heard any terrible stories about what my mom went through. We just didn't talk about right. it. No. And so I did share some very uncomfortable stories about how my mom was raised and some of the trauma that she went through that I ended up finding out about after she passed away. Right. But why didn't we talk about that? No, you right. know what I mean? Like, yeah, they do. Um, so, you know, my grandparents, whom I loved dearly, um, I had to share some dark stuff about them. Yes. And I knew that. Uh, my family would feel a certain kind of way about that. Yeah. And also, okay, that's, that's how you feel. And that yes. is valid. And also you can walk away from me because this is valuable enough for me to share because I truly feel we have to heal in this way. We have to stop hiding generational trauma. We have yes. to talk about it. We have to work it out. Or the cycle yes. will freaking repeat. Yes, exactly. 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 When 
I had children of my own, I was very much clear that I would never abuse. I was like, this is not, I'm not going to spank my kids. I'm not going to abuse my kids. This stops with me. Now, that is one thing. But as I started to raise them, what I realized was that by not dealing with my trauma in any sort of honest or, you know, terrifying way, what I was doing was passing down the trauma accidentally by my avoidance mm -hmm. and my behaviors, right? So right. like if I was incapable of things being out of control or messy or any of those sorts of things because of my trauma, I was putting my issues on my children, whether I intended right. to or not. So that was something that I realized pretty early on, luckily. You think that you're, as a parent, that stopping the cycle is enough, but it isn't, right? Because yeah. it will still find its way to filter down if you haven't broken those cycles and you do not yep. break them magically. You break them by dealing with the issues at the root of them. A hundred percent. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you don't address the action. You address the trauma. Yes. Because if you don't address the trauma, it ends up looking like something else. Yes. Abandonment. Yes. It ends up looking like emotional abuse. And because there's no physical abuse, you think you're doing better. And you are. That's right. That's absolutely the case. So I didn't write my book for other people. And I, I knew eventually people would read it, but I wrote it as mm -hmm. if I were writing it for me and potentially maybe my kids, right? Because I knew that if I thought too hard about who might read it, I would be paralyzed and I wouldn't be yeah. able to talk about it in the way that it needed to be told. So when I considered, and I'm just going to say this because this is my podcast and I'm allowed, um, when I needed to tell a story that included um, sexual abuse, I needed to say what I needed to say. And there were people that are, you know, kind of important people that were at the center mm -hmm. of that but it was important to me to tell it. So when it came time to talk to my publisher about it and about whether or not they would be comfortable still publishing the book, given the content, I was shocked by how like, basically my, my, the CEO of the publishing house's wife got on a phone call with me and was basically like, nope, she's going to tell that story the way she needs to tell it. We're all just going to read it. That's just the way it's going to be. And I think that, and just like, I'm so eternally grateful to her and I don't say it enough, but I'm so grateful to her for giving me permission to tell that story the way it needed to be told so that I could get it out yeah. of my body. I mean, yeah. do you have those feelings about some of the stories that you had to tell that you just had to get it out of you? Yes. Um, I, I also went through sexual abuse at the hands of people who my family, you know, that were innocent enough as most as they do, do. yeah like, why would they put you in harm's way intentionally there are two strong points that i wanted to get across in my story yeah. um i went through a ton of trauma like yeah. i went through a ton of trauma it looked like sexual abuse it looked like physical abuse it looked like mental abuse emotional spiritual like you name yeah. it yes um i endured the abuse Right. Um, and I refuse to let that define me. Yes. I, yes. I am determined to use what that gave me and turn it into something beautiful. 
Yes. So that was that was the first thing. Um, I forget the second thing. It was right there. Nope. You know what? <laughs> nope. Go go right ahead. And oh, fix- I know what it was. It was it was you know to give women a voice because for yes. so long we have been silent. For so long we have not been believed. For yes. so long it has been oh, but he's such a nice boy. He would yes. never. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, no, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> I can paint you a mental picture if you like. Yes. Um, and so it's, it's, it's just another voice to support you. If you yes. are a woman who has not been believed, I believe you. Yes. Yes. Full I stop. would say that that's absolutely correct. I think women have been absorbing the, you know, the, oh, he's just such a nice boy. I think women have been absorbing all of that for just all of human history. The reason we continue to have all of these abuse situations is because we ignore them. We leave yeah. the people, I mean, you're saying, oh, who would leave their children in harm's way? Of course they do, because it worked on them first. Of course right. they do. Do you know what I mean? So like, if they didn't know how to keep themselves out of harm's way, if their right. parents didn't know how to keep them out of harm's way, of course they passed down that cover ignore you know and 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 just like don't talk about it behavior of course they did f that generation on generation has done that so it is on us to be able to say yes this happened let's heal it rather than saying oh i'm gonna cover up for this person again and maybe they won't do it the next time because you just leave that person open to hurt the next person who maybe is exactly the same type of person that you were just, you know, a nice person that didn't know that that was what that person was, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yes, I just I get so frustrated. Because people will say, Oh, well, false allegations, you know, everybody's son is going to be at risk. And it's like, no, they aren't. You can raise them better. You can do something, you can talk about, you can stop covering, you can solve it now while the issues are small, you know, little kids, little problems, big kids, bigger problems, right? Like you can stop these behaviors now when you're seeing them talk about girls in a certain way, when you're seeing them talk to you, their mother in a certain way. And I just, I get such static when I'm talking about these things sometimes. And it, and it just, it, it hurts me for our it hurts me for our children. It hurts me for our daughters, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. But it's, it's people like you and I standing up and saying, look, if you're, if you're a parent, if you're a person that you look up to that you're supposed to feel protected by isn't going to stand up to you, you have people who will. Yes, yeah. Building community is exa- exactly. Building community is power. Building community to have those conversations and be able to say, these are the red flags. These are what we're looking for. And every time I see Gen Z talking about red flags and behavior and take doing their therapy and all of that stuff. Oh my God, the mama bear in my heart is just like, I want to clap and cheer for all of them. You know what I mean? Because they are creating new cycles for humanity with their sass and they don't even really realize it. Right. So it just, it, it thrills me as a mom who has kids coming up after them that like maybe yep. they'll just have it a little bit easier than even I have Totally. It. Yeah, yeah, I'm no. so thrilled. I think that I I understand, you know, growing up and hearing the grandparents be like, kids these days are, you know? And I'm yeah. like, kids these days, oh, what a relief. Like they're yeah, getting right? it. Same. They're getting it. 
people are like, oh, you know, that generation, they're uh, feral honey badgers. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Right. Thank God. <laughs> like, that right. is exactly what is needed. What we need. Like, yes. feral empathy honey badgers is just, is totally. just exactly what the world needs. And I'm just, I'm yep. so grateful for it. Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. I love that for us as humans. Let's talk a little bit about your work, if you don't mind. So you yeah. work with giving women a voice. So talk a little mm -hmm. bit about that. Yeah, so um, I started a group back in um, 2017, I think it was, maybe 18, I don't remember, um, on Facebook called Women Business Owners, Supporting Women Business Owners. And the reason I created that group was because I moved to Florida um, in 2017. Um, I was big into networking. We moved from Indianapolis, and I had such a strong, supportive community there. Um, and it was like authentic. It was just like, we want to see you thrive kind of cheerleaders. Yeah. Um, it didn't matter if there were three marketers in the networking group. It didn't matter if there were 17 realtors in the networking group. We just wanted to show up and lift one another up. And so it was starkly contrast to that when I moved to Florida. It was mm -hmm. old school 80s pro networking where mm -hmm. you had 30 seconds to give your pitch if you weren't one of the already represented groups. And I was just like, oh, this is so gross. Mm. Um, and I went to five of those in one day and they were all exactly the same. Yes. I don't believe in competition. I believe there mm -hmm. is more than enough out there for all of us to eat. And so mm -hmm. I created a space where women could just go to be supported. Absolutely. Um, kind of a pitch-free zone where they could just pose questions and get help, where they could just show up um, and support one another, educate one another. Right. Um, and it slowly grew until 2020 uh, when the pandemic hit. And then women flooded my group. I went from 1,000 members um, to 15,000 members in six months, all organic, no paid anything. It just right. kept growing. And so essentially the message that I got was we need help. Like there aren't enough resources out there or we don't know how to find them to help grow our business or pivot our business or like all of this is happening. What do we do? Are we going to go out of business? And so I wanted to create a space where women could truly have access to resources to help grow their business, to help build their business. So I created Shop From Her, which is a platform dedicated to doing just that, um, to help women be found, um, to show up their authentic selves and know, like truly, not just believe, but know um, in their heart that showing up as they are, speaking their truth, will draw their ideal audience to them every yes. time. Yes. You don't have to be anything other than what you are. You don't have to sell anything else than what you sell because right. you're in purpose and you're on purpose. And so what I do is I work with women to help really refine. If they don't know who they're trying to attract, we do some mindset work. We do some deep digging, kind of some intuitive spiritual work um, right. to find out who are you? Like, who mm -hmm. really are you? What is what is the goal? That, what's the, the mark that you want to make on this earth during the time that you have here? Yes. What do you want to do? Um, 
who do you want to work with? Like I, like you said in the bio, not just in terms of, you know, a middle-aged person that graduated college and yada, yada, yada. Like, yeah. that's boring. That's boring. What brings you joy? Who are yes. the people that light you up? Right. Um, and so we really work together to decide who is that person for you now? Hmm. How do we speak in a way that's going to draw them to you? Yes. Giving the message that you want to give. And so that, that in and of itself is the work. I've been in marketing since uh, 2001. And so I know, you know, the algorithm changes, changes every day. Yes. You know, I, I know the basics of um, traditional marketing. I know copywriting. I know how to write in a way that engages people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know how to write in a way that converts. So I, I use all of this cumulative knowledge from strategy to copywriting all of it together to really build out strong campaigns for women so that Mm -hmm. they're first feeling comfortable with who they are and expressing who they are. Once we work through that part, um, Mm -hmm. we get it down on paper and we develop a good brand message so that they are ready to scale their business. They don't always want to be doing the work for the rest of their lives. They want to be able to hire people on. So we get it on paper because the best way to scale is to embody the person you want to be, embody the business that you want to be. Um, So get that brand messaging down on paper, start writing down your systems and your processes, all of it. So it's kind of like a cumulative uh, business business um, consultant and marketing consultant is, is how I work with women. That's awesome. I yeah. love that because it's not even, and you have such great experience in your life to be able to help uncover that message because you're yeah. so good at getting to the core of who somebody is and not tripping over yeah. the fluff and the comparison right. to other people that yeah. might be keeping them paralyzed, right? That perfectionism, totally. you have already unpacked that within your own life. And I think that that's such an interesting place to you know, to get to because you have become the person you needed most. You have yeah, become 100%. that person that you needed to stay needed to stand up for you. And I love to see that happen. And all the people who are doing the thing that they love the most in life, that is the thing that they have in common is that they have become the person that they needed. You are giving voice to women just like yourself. That yeah. is incredible. I am so proud of you. Good for you. Thank you. Thank Woo. you. So anyway, you got an RV and now what? Yeah, we are uh, currently in Florida. This is, you know, where we moved. My dad actually lives in Florida, so we spend quite a bit of time here. Mm -hmm. Um, But our goal is within the next couple of years to start traveling cross country to spotlight women-owned businesses. The tagline of Shop From Her is shop consciously, shop from her. And it really is to draw attention, not not to necessarily shopping more, or shopping from women. But if you have a purchase to make, it's simply about stopping for a moment, thinking about who you're buying from. Even if you're Mm -hmm. buying from that one company where we buy all this stuff that gets shipped to our front door, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. they have have the ability to shop from a small business. They have the ability for you to filter by shopping from a woman-owned business. So taking the time to just be intentional about putting your money in the hands of a woman-owned business, being intentional about hiring a woman-owned business. That's really what Shop From Her is all about. So our hope is to, you know, travel cross-country to be able to give marketing wisdom to people who need a little bit of a a leg up in Mm -hmm. their business um, and to spotlight them on a YouTube channel 
that allows people to learn more, not just about the business and what they sell or what they, how they help other businesses, um, but to share some of their story because that's right. how we connect on a human yes. level. Yes. So. Yes. Well, and that's how we build community and community is right. power. Absolutely awesome. I love that for y'all. That is so cool. Thank so you. I always say that I would love for these conversations to go on forever. And I, if I were offline with you, they surely could. I do not want to, I try to be very careful about the questions I ask um, of people knowing that the answers are in public. So here's what I would like to know. I'm sure that people are completely like enthralled with your story by now. Do you want to share the title of your forthcoming memoir and when people can buy it? Yeah, so um, it actually will publish on March 12th of this coming year, 2024. Um, the name of the book, I literally just settled on a subtitle. So you're the first person I'm revealing this to, and I hope I get it right. <laughs> so the name of the book is. Um, untethered my story of losing my religion to find my voice wow wow that's powerful congratulations yeah. i am so thank proud you. of you honestly that is that is thank fantastic you. and naming a book is hard so completely oh, agree yeah. so yeah. and if people want to work with you or if people want to um you know do more intentional shopping can you share those links as well yeah, so the best place for uh, both of those is actually Powers, my last name, Amber Powers, like Austin, mm -hmm. uh, powersdigitalmarketing.com. Um, if you are interested in learning more about my personal blog or my book being updated on when it launches or getting on a waiting list, um, that website is Amber, middle initial K, like mm -hmm. K-A-Y, but not spelled out. No. <laughs> AmberKPowers.com. So um, Amber is going to send me all of those links and I'm going to yeah. have them in the show notes when this publishes. So if we didn't get that, no worries. I will have them in the show notes so that you can go ahead and shop intentionally and buy her book when it comes out. Yeah. All right, Amber, thank you so much for being here. I am so My grateful pleasure. for you sharing your story. And as I have said probably 40 times in this episode alone, I am so proud of you. It is thank not you. easy to do what you have done. And it is a very lonely road to have to totally. live in those moments again and sort of question um you know what to share what not to share you know what's enough and so i am so proud of you for making that choice and i know that it will help so many other people um just like yourself so so thank you so much for thank coming you. on and for sharing your story i appreciate you my pleasure thank you so much for having me it was a joy <laughs> thank you all right, folks. So thank you for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the Indomitable podcast for more incredible stories of humaning. Remember that my new book, Indomitable, A Foster Care Story, is available wherever you get your books and has five stars on Goodreads. Also, thank you to all my friends who came out to visit me at the latest book signing. I was so touched and I had an amazing time. And if you have upcoming events you'd like me to bring the Indomitable experience to, please reach out to us. And finally, as ever, I am happy to have you here in community with me. And remember, together, we are truly indomitable. Take care, friends.